Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to be back with you guys again. Apparently they let anybody preach here. Um, And I do want to just thank you guys, uh, this church, for loving RUF very well historically. Um, As an old youth guy, I was an independent for a long time, and we would send students up here. I think I said this before last time I was here. We would send students to Old Miss, and and y'all, this church cared for them well, and we just thank you for that. And, and and as an RUF guy, I just want to thank you on behalf of RUF for your your support and and your care and your love for for this ministry. Um, I know for myself personally, like the end of the year, like being supported by folks, how in, how it encourages me and how it keeps me going, uh, and it reminds me, hey, maybe I should be doing this. Um, and so my, my encouragement to you uh, is to continue to give to RUF and, and do specifically to Austin Brash. Uh, he named his first child after, after me, um, and uh, he didn't. <laughs> I, but, uh, but I think he did. But, but, <laughs> but uh, do, do take him, play golf, get to know him. Man, there, he's an all-star. He's the real deal. And just appreciate him and this ministry here and how he loves students here and but thank you all um, on behalf of, of your care for RUF. Let me pray as we jump into this strange passage this morning. Let's pray. Father, stories like this remind us that you actually do delight in showing great mercy to big sinners. And so often, Father, we forget who we really are. And so often we forget who you are for us. And Father, we even forget what you've done for us. Father, I ask that you would convince us, that you would help our unbelief, that you would encourage and bind us with the reality of your great kindness and mercy this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have uh, three sons and we we all have, I don't know, maybe it's my fault, but I've made them always watch like movies that are true, movies that are based on true stories. Uh, and and, And now they would tell you like, the best movies are the ones that are true stories. Uh, recently, I watched the, uh, the Kurt Warner uh, story on Netflix. I think it's a horrible acting, but, it, it, but I cry. Those like cheesy Christian movies, but it's a true story, and we love those. The, the, the movie Miracle, if you hadn't seen Miracle, I think I even accused uh, if the, the last the group, if you hadn't seen Miracle, I question your patriotism. Um, <laughs> 
but, but those movies that are like true stories that, that you can see yourself in the, move, move, in, in the movie and you see where you, where you are and you get gripped and, 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 and caught up in it. Um, and those movies like grip you and draw you in and, and we can relate to those movies and see ourselves in the story and, and what we have in the Bible is this great true story, right? We have this great true story about this real hero that enters into the world to rescue his people. And in in this true story, um, it grips you and it draws you into it. And so as we jump into this story of Jesus, this hero with this woman, this weird story, we begin hopefully to see our own story and how we fit into the great true story. Um, and we see who we are and we see who Jesus is. And that's my hope. So we're going to look at a couple of things this morning. I have, I guess, three points. Um, first, you're going to consider the context of this story. Like, this is a weird story. Like, Jesus calls this lady a dog. Um, what is going on here um, in this story? And then we're going to look at what it means to be far more sinful than you ever imagined. What does that mean? To be far more sinful than you ever imagined. And then... Thirdly, what does it mean to be more loved than you ever dared, hoped, or dreamed at the same time? So, and then we'll hopefully make some applications, get home, go to lunch. So let's look at this first point, the context of this story. Chapter seven opens up with the Pharisees rebuking Jesus's disciples for eating with unwashed hands. And this is a constant battle in my own home with raising three boys, like, Hey guys, like wash your hands before you put your hand in the cereal box. Um, and so this is what's going on here. And, and, but, but now Jesus is, is going to deal with the real difference between being clean and unclean. Uh, if you remember back, if you look back in, in chapter 7, verse 2, it says this. It says, they saw some of his disciples. They ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the traditions of the elders. And Jesus said, and Jesus said this, and this is the excuse that my older son, like when he heard this quote, he's like, hey, mom, I don't have to wash my hands anymore. This is not an excuse, kids, not to wash your hands. And Jesus said, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. The Pharisees, the Pharisees washed their hands and they were devoutly religious. They were so concerned with the outward appearance, what they looked like, what was going on the outside, all the religious things, they were concerned with those things. And Jesus is saying, it's not the outward, it's not the outward that makes us unclean, but it's what comes out of us that makes us unclean. It's our hearts that make us unclean. And Jesus says in verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And so Jesus here is leveling the playing field and he is saying, look, everyone, everyone is unclean within their hearts. We all are. The problem is not on the outside, but the problem is actually our heart. Like mere religion, just just bare bones religion is concerned with what is going on on the outside of you. Like mere religion is this, like I live a certain way, I I, I live a certain way and I do certain things and God will accept me. Um, 
Christianity is this. Christianity, the gospel, actually is this. It's totally different. It's Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, and so God accepts you. It's totally different. It's totally different. The life that I now live in obedience is a response now to the God who saved me, saved you. Like, it's totally different. And Jesus Christ is actually, he's dead set on showing you this difference. And we're told in verse 17 that when, even when the disciples got Jesus together alone, like, they ask him, like, hey, Jesus, like, all this clean and unclean stuff you're talking about, like, what are you talking about? Um, showing the disciples are totally clueless of what Jesus is actually getting at themselves. And now, in this true story, Jesus Christ goes from the classroom here to, like, actually practicing it. Um, he goes from, like, just talking about it, like, at, theoretically or abstractly to now actually doing it. I still remember my sophomore year biology class, the day the room smelled different. Uh, weeks before, we, we, we were studying the sheep's eyeball, and, and, and we were, like, memorizing the parts of the sheep's eyeball and, and all the stuff that had to do with that. And then one day we walked in, and the room smelled differently. It was the grossest thing ever. And, and, and I remember, like, seeing, like, all these, like, black, the trays with the black top. You remember those things? Uh, and, and, and the sheep's eyeball right there, um, right in front of us that day. So now we could identify the parts. We could touch it. We could, we could dare our lab partner to taste it. Like, it, we, they were slippery little boogers. Like, you know, we threw, threw them around a little bit. But it was right there. It was no longer theoretical. It was no longer a picture in a book. The teacher was letting us experience it by showing us how it works. And this is what Jesus is doing here in this passage. This is actually what he's doing here. Jesus Christ is showing us as he goes to Venetia what it actually means to put the gospel into practice. And it's actually kind of shocking. It's kind of shocking what he does here. What Jesus says and what he does here is kind of outrageous. He is trying to get us to see who, what he's really about, who he is. Jack Miller would say this, an old pastor uh, that I think he's gone now, and Tim Keller would steal this as well, and I steal it today. Uh, Jack Miller would say, cheer up. Cheer up. You are far more sinful than you ever imagined, but you are far more loved than you ever dared, hoped, or dreamed at the same time, which brings me to the second point. What in the world does it mean to be far more sinful than you ever imagined? Like, what does that mean? To be far more sinful than you ever imagined. Let's look at this woman, this woman's story. In verses 24 and 25, Jesus Christ is going to Phoenicia, and it's his first and only time that Jesus leaves Israel during his public ministry. So he leaves his country, and he goes to this foreign land, right there on the coast of the Mediterranean, to this city called Tyre. Like, he travels to this place, maybe because he wants to get, not to be noticed. Um, he wants to get away. He wants to rest. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't want anyone to know, we're told, even in what we read. Um, because maybe he knows what's ahead of him. He, maybe he knows he's thinking, like, the cross is coming, and he wants to get away. And so he goes to Phoenicia, not wanting to be noticed by anyone, but we're actually told in Mark 3, 8, 
that his reputation grew and specifically reached all over, even to this specific place in Tyre. Um, so this woman approaches him in verse 26, most likely because she's heard about him. And let me tell you a little bit about this woman so you can get the idea of what it means to be far more sinful than you ever dared imagined. This woman was a Greek born in Syrophoenicia. She was a, she was a Gentile of Gentiles. You, you couldn't get any more Gentile than this woman. She was totally not a Jew. She was a Greek, which means Gentile. Samaritans were at least half-breeds. This woman was a no-breed. This woman was a no-breed, and she was what the New Testament writers would refer to as a heathen, a pagan. She worshiped the gods of the nations, and she was from a place far removed from the people of God. Even a, a guy after the first service came up to me and told me, he said, you know who was the quintessential Syrophoenician? I haven't fact-checked this, so any fact-check. He was like, it was Jezebel. Like, she was from there as well. I don't know. Ask less. Um, <laughs> but that's what he told me. I told him I'd steal that. Um, Paul describes these Gentile folks in Ephesians 2.12 like this. He says they were separated, far off from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That was their Facebook profile. That's who they were. Like that's, that was this woman, and that's what it means to be a Gentile. It means to be alienated, to be hopeless, to be without God, and Jesus calls her a dog. He calls her a dog. Like, and I, I know, like, this is probably going to be totally lost on a lot of, a lot of you here um, because most of y'all are old Miss people probably, right? And, and there might be a couple of Missy State people in here that don't mind being called a dog, but, but, but most of you are probably going, don't call me a dog, right? Like, calls you a dog. And some of you might be reading from your original Greek text, like Austin Brash. That's what he does in his spare time. Like, he's reading from his, and, and he's noticed, just as I noticed, that Jesus actually uses a different word for dog here. He doesn't call her a big dog. He actually refers to her as a small dog. Like, so, and, and commentators seem to fidget like with this verse, kind of make it like, hey, at least he's not calling her a big dog, just a small dog. But ladies, really, does it matter? Like, if, if I called you a puppy or a dog, like a dog is a dog, right? Like a dog's a dog and he is calling her a dog because Jews called Gentiles dogs. That's what they did. That is what she is, an unclean dog, and that is the statement that Jesus is making. Jesus is making this provocative statement that is true to a Jewish rabbi, a Gentile woman from Syrophoenicia is a dog. She was not only a Gentile of Gentiles from a godless pagan land and an unclean dog. She was a she as well. This woman had no standing in that culture. Like she was a woman. There, there is a difference between things being dirty and unclean and things being unclean, unclean. Um, let me explain by talking about this. Like this woman was, she, she was an unclean woman who, who had a, a daughter who was unclean 
And the daughter literally had an unclean spirit. Like she covered all the bases of being unclean. Uh, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter where it talks about like this clean and unclean stuff, like this woman spiritually, culturally, and ceremonially fit the bill as as filthy as you could possibly be. That's who she is. Like in our house, like with three boys, like we, we live by the three second drill rule. Like it's not like scientifically proven if you drop something on the ground, it's not that dirty, but we live by it, whatever. But I did have noticed like as we've had children, um, like our first child, if anything dropped on the floor, they, we wouldn't let them eat it. But then that second child are like, oh, three second drill rule. The three second drill rule, that's a cool rule. Let's, we'll do that now. So he drops his fry on the floor, blow it off, give it to him. But by the third child, like, right, you're serving mac and cheese like on the kitchen floor. Like you're just like, like, like mac and cheese, eat it, Max, go for it. We're bad parents. Um, and my wife would be mortified that I said that. But uh, we don't serve mac and cheese on our floor. Um, I would do it, but um, it always ends up on the floor. Okay, sorry. But so, so, so this woman, this woman, like she fit the bill as being as filthy as you could possibly get. But then there, there is a difference. There is a difference between being not real dirty and then really, really dirty. Um, and I kind of want to put it, there's, put it this way. There's last day state fairground dirty. Like, I don't know if you've ever taken your kids to the fair. Like, like the three second drill rule, if you drop a fried buttered treat on the ground and your kid, kid picks it up and tries to eat it, it does you slap that thing out of their hand because it is dirty, dirty. Like it, that is like the ground is alive, dirty, like from the animals and it's just gross, hazmat suit, dirty. Like that's what's going on there. This woman is not three second drill dirty. Like she is last day state fairground dirty. That's who she is. And it's absolutely outrageous for her to bust in on Jesus' vacation and, bug of, and, and beg of Jesus. Who does she think she is? Like, who does this woman think she is? Jesus Christ, in verse 27, says, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. It, you know what Jesus is doing in this passage? Like, he is testing her. He is testing her. Like he wants to know, he wants to know first, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Last day state fairground, dirty woman. Do you know who you are? And secondly, he's testing her and wants to know, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Because I'm a Jewish rabbi. I'm a Jewish rabbi. Who do you think I am? I'm a Jewish rabbi and I've come to my people first, Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and then the utter ends of the earth. And this woman is out of her turn. She's out of her turn. She's not waiting her turn. She's not playing by the rules. And Jesus Christ is making this provocative truth statement to find out if she really knows who she is and if she really knows who he is. And then in verse 28, she says, 
you're right, Jesus. You're actually, you're actually right. You're right. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying, I'm as filthy as ever. I'm as filthy as I could possibly be. I'm last day state fairground dirty. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And do you know what's going on here? Like she is saying, this woman is saying, I am far more sinful. I'm far more sinful than I ever dared imagined. And I realize I am totally disqualified to be talking to you. I have no claim on you, Jesus. I deserve nothing. And it's absolutely outrageous that I am begging and bugging you right now. But she is saying, bless me anyway, Jesus. Bless me anyway. You have more than enough grace on that table. And all I need is a crumb. Just give me a crumb. You don't even have to interrupt your rest. And she is saying, you know what, Jesus? I know, I know who you are. And you love dogs. You love dogs. You aren't like the other rabbis, Jesus. And there's food on that table. There's food on that table. And you want to give it to me. And she's got Jesus kind of nailed here. She totally pegs Jesus. She is filthy. She is a Gentile, dirty dog without any standing. But you know what? Jesus actually loves people like this. He doesn't have a, th a three-second drill rule. If you want to know anything about Jesus Christ, it is that Jesus Christ came into this world to actually become dirty for you. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? What in the world does that mean for my life and your life? We all are always going back and forth but between two extremes in our lives. On one hand, some of you feel like you might be too good to really need this kind of salvation, and, and, it, and it offends you a little bit. It offends you. Um, you think, maybe I just, I just need a boost. Just give me a boost. Um, you are a real nice Reformed Presbyterian, and you kind of have your life together, so to speak, and you're offended that you would be associated with a lowly sinner like this woman, and it's your pride, actually, that keeps you from Jesus. It's your pride that keeps you from Jesus. That's one extreme. And then some of them, on the other hand, on the other hand, it's your despair that keeps you from Jesus. Some of you are just keeping Jesus at arm's length because, because you think you're way too far gone. You're way too far gone. Uh, and Jesus, in this passage, is saying, you're both wrong. You're actually both wrong. Jesus is saying, I want you just like you are, warts and all. I want you just like you are, with all your filth, with all your messiness. Look, cheer up. Cheer up. You are far more sinful than you ever imagined. You are far more sinful than you ever imagined. But you are more loved than you ever dared dreamed or hoped. Which brings me to this third point. What does that mean? What the heck does that mean? When Jesus heals this woman's child, when he heals this woman's child, he blows the categories to pieces about Christianity. He blows up our categories. Like she is out of line. She is not playing by the rules. I hate people. Oh, sorry, I said that. I strongly dislike people. My wife's like, don't say hate. You shouldn't, kid. I strongly dislike people who cut lines. Um, strongly. Um, but I'm not a perfect father. I just want you to throw that out there. 
and I've used my children to cut in lines. Um, <laughs> about 11 years ago, um, I remember taking a bunch of students to Atlanta Braves game, and, and I brought my, at the time, he's my oldest, it was 11 years ago, he's 20 now, he was, he was, he was nine years old, and we went to this Braves game, and, uh, and I took him along with us, and, and we walked into the stadium, and there was this huge line wrapped around the inside of the stadium, and I just thought, man, that's the longest bathroom line I've ever seen. And then I was like, man, this, is, this can't be a bathroom line. And we kind of went around to the front and saw this table. And these guys were sitting at it. And then the clouds parted and a beam of light shone down on Del Murphy sitting there at this table. And I was like, ah, like, like my childhood hero and all these other guys, Phil Nicro, like all these Greg Maddox, all the Hall of Famers. It was the day they were retiring Bobby Cox's jersey. So all these guys were there. And my first thought was, I got to get in this line. But the line wrapped around the whole stadium. And so I panicked. I left my child with students I trusted and ran and found this, bought this little brace baseball bat and a Sharpie, came back. And by the time I came back, everybody in that line had a ticket. They'd given out tickets because the line was so long. And I was like, there's no way. But then I looked at my cute young son, Charlie, bro, go under the rope. I gave him the baseball bat and a Sharpie. And he just looked at me and was like, okay. Like didn't even think about it got under the rope and this lady made eye contact with me right behind Charlie and she just did not like me at all. Like you could just, she's like, you're a bad father. I can't believe you're doing this. I was a youth pastor. My students were watching me cut in line too. Just wanted to just throw that out there as well. But he cut in line. And I remember like thinking as he got, I mean, we, I'm telling that he was 30 people back and there were a thousand people behind us. Like we were front line under the rope. And I know she was thinking like, as soon as he gets up there, he doesn't have a ticket. He's going to be busted. Like, and he gets up to the front of the line and the guy just waves him through. And I got that bat now. <laughs> I immediately took it from him. It's in my office. If you want to come see it, um, still have it, but yes, uh, I'm a bad father. He was out of line. He was out of line. He didn't wait his turn. He didn't have a ticket. He had a bad father. Here is what this passage is saying and why Jesus blows our categories to pieces about Christianity. Imagine yourself waiting in a long, slow line and you see this woman go under the rope. She's breaking in line just ahead of you. She doesn't have a ticket and you can't wait for her to get busted when she gets the ticket guy. And you think for a second, just right when she's about there, she's gonna get it. And then what happens? Jesus just waves her through. He just waves her through to the front. Jesus Christ is that merciful. He's actually that merciful. Look, when I say that we are far more sinful than we ever dared imagine, I wanna put it this way. We're, we're messy. Like, we're all messy. Like, I, I love, like, thinking about, like, I think it was Brian Habig years ago. I heard him t 
teach a sermon about like the Old Testament sacrifice system and like people going to church back in the Old Testament days, when they would come to church, you knew how people's weeks were because of the, the, the sacrifice they would bring along with them. Like they would bring, oh, there's, they're the sorghum fries with their doves, you know, you know, right? And then, and then, you know, here come the Crosbys with their bulls, you know, like everybody knew like what was going on. And it's easy for us to like, you know, everybody looks so cool here and hip and old Missy and whatever. But we're messy. This woman is a total train wreck. She's a total train wreck. The most important step to true discipleship is for you and I to embrace our utter absolute messiness of our life, to embrace it. And it's the, it's the messiness that totally disqualifies us to be in the kingdom of God. How can I say that? Because you and I have sinned without number. Like we can't even keep track. Look, our sin makes us filthy dogs. It makes us dogs. It disqualifies us. It affects how we think and how we act. It makes us objects of wrath. Our sin makes us justly deserving his displeasure. Jesus Christ is saying that you and I are dogs. And he is saying, you know, you know, I know who you really are, is what he's saying. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? You have to really believe in a Jesus. You have to really believe in a Jesus that can love you more than you can ever imagine in spite of who you are. You have to really believe in that Jesus. You are more loved than you ever dared, dreamed. Look, look at verse 29. Jesus said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And here's what this means. Jesus, Jesus loves you just as you are. Listen, like that is good news. He loves you just as you are. Now he doesn't leave you as you are. Like why? Because you have God living in you. And with God living in you, he is going to change you and shape you. And, and you'll be involved in that process. But God is going to love you just as you are. Like remember, Christianity is this. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life you couldn't live, and so God accepts you. You are far more loved than you ever dared, dreamed, or hoped. Let me close with this. Like this woman is saying, yes, Jesus. She's saying, yes, Jesus, I'm a mess. I am not remotely qualified to be talking to you right now. I am a dog in your sight, but I know what you're like, Jesus. I know what you're like. I know that you love dogs. I know that, that, that I can come to you with my life that is a total train wreck. I can come to you with my life as a, as a, as a failure, as a parent, as a, as a husband, as a wife. I can come to you as a total train wreck. I can come to you and you will love me. And you will love me. And Jesus looks at this woman and says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. And this is how wonderful, this is how wonderful your Jesus is. This is how wonderful the second person of the Trinity is. He goes to this place and this unclean Gentile dog woman approaches him. And he so loves this woman 
and says, go home. I have a present for you. Your sweet, precious daughter that you've been begging and bugging me to save. She's asleep on the bed and the demon gone. And I want to say this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. He actually delights. He delights in showing great mercy to you. He delights in it. One of my favorite verses, I think I, like I, I, share, I sit with students all the time. One of my favorite verses to share with students is this verse in Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Do you hear that? He longs to be gracious to you. And then it says, he rises to show you compassion. He delights in it. He delights in showing you mercy. Jesus is not wanting you to get it all together. He doesn't want you to get it all together. He wants you to bust in just as you are. To truly believe that you are far more sinful than you ever dared imagine, but you are far more loved than you ever dared dream at the same time. Look, nothing else will change you. Jesus looks at this woman and is saying, you couldn't be more right. You couldn't be more right. I do love dogs. And I came into this world for sinners, not for the righteous. Like Christian maturity, I heard this somewhere. I don't know who I... I think, I don't know who I heard it from. Most of this stuff is all stolen anyway. I'm just going to tell you. But I heard this from somebody. He said this, Christian maturity is not you become more holy and need less Jesus. Christian maturity is when you see your sin more and more and your lack of holiness, you need Jesus more and more. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak, wounded, sick, and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Look, come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Do you see yourself in this story? Do you see the hero Jesus that truly loves you and is actually for you? Look, you are far more sinful than you ever imagined, but you are far more loved than you ever dared dreamed at the same time. He delights in showing great mercy to big sinners. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this true story. Father, you did go to this place and you met this woman and you loved her and you delighted in showing great mercy to her. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that you really are this way. Help us to believe that you really do love this way and you care for us and you're for us. It's your name we pray, amen.